from uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hey, Murder Fam, and welcome back to Serial Killing, a podcast. My name is Alyssa Carroll, and this is Serial Saturday, where every Saturday, We go through the life stories of serial killers to see if we might catch a glimpse of why they displayed their famous, vile, and disturbing behaviors. Although this one will be on Sunday, I do apologize. Now this podcast is going to be on Fritz Harmon. Frederick Heinrich Karl Harmon was born on October 25, 1879 in Hanover, Germany. So let's get into some history for that time. In 1879, the United States paper currency was valued the same as gold, which had not happened since the Civil War. Chile formally declared war on Bolivia and Peru. This was known as the War of the Pacific. New York City's Gilmore Garden was renamed Madison Square Garden by William Henry Vanderbilt. In England, a priest in the Church of England named Sidney Faithorne Green was tried and convicted for using ritualistic practices. The American Christian Restorationist Charles Russell published the first issue of the monthly Zion's Watchtower and Herald of Christ's Presence, which would later become the most widely circulated magazine in the world. In England, the Blackpool illuminations were switched on for the first time, and a fire in Deadwood, South Dakota, left 2,000 people homeless and 300 buildings destroyed. And finally, using a filament of carbonized thread, Thomas Edison tested the first practical electric light bulb that lasted a whole 13 and a half hours before burning out. So this was the atmosphere that Fritz was born into. Now his parents were Ollie Harmon and Joanna Claudius. They married when Ollie was 34, but Joanna was 41. It was reported that Joanna's wealth and prestige in society was the real reason Ollie married her in the first place. They went on to have six children. Fritz was the last of those children to be born and was said to have been his mother's very favorite. Ollie was described as, quote, a morose father known as Sulky Ollie, known to be argumentative and short-tempered, unquote. He had several affairs on his wife, even contracting syphilis later in life. And, you know, he really didn't bother himself with the children at all, and Joanna was described as an invalid, though I couldn't find out exactly why she earned that title. 
It was said that Fritz absolutely loved playing with dolls. He liked wearing dresses, and he apparently avoided other children and especially other boys. He kept to playing with his own siblings, even though he was known to tie his sisters up or tap on windows at night to scare people. But he did develop a passion for cooking and for sewing, something that angered his father. He was not keen on his son being feminine, which was pretty normal for that time. Once Fritz started school, the teacher said that he acted like a spoiled brat, one who was, quote, prone to daydreaming, unquote, but he didn't really misbehave or cause trouble per se. His grades weren't perfect, and he would be held back not once, but twice. And then at eight years old, um, he later said that he had been molested by a teacher, but he would never really go into detail about it. His father recognized pretty early that his son was different, and to try to toughen him up, Ollie sent him to a military school when he was 16 years old. While he was there, he also began to show signs of epilepsy, so they dismissed him from school. Once back home, he worked with his father in Ollie's cigar factory. Only one year later, he was arrested for indecency and molesting little boys. In February of 1897, he was committed to an insane asylum, quote unquote, for the first time of many times. There, he was diagnosed as, quote, incurably deranged, unquote, and his psychiatrist ordered him to be confined to this specific mental facility for the rest of his life. After six months, he did manage to escape with apparently the help of his mother. He crossed the border into Switzerland and lived with one of his mother's relatives working as a handyman at a shipyard. And that was Fritz's childhood, so let's take a little look at it. Fritz was a young gay man during a time when it was still very taboo. His father, like many parents back then and really up until fairly recently, regarded his sexual preference as him being mentally ill. Fritz, I'm sure, was hyper aware of his situation. Him playing with dolls or enjoying wearing dresses harmed no one. However, we do know that he tied his sisters up during play and he was also tapping on windows to scare people in the night. Then at eight years old, he was molested by a teacher. Now, again, he wouldn't really talk about what happened and whether or not the teacher was male or female, which is equally unacceptable, of course, but it can still play a part in how his mind tried to interpret that information, which was far beyond what he could process at that age. Childhood sexual abuse often produces psychological trauma and therefore negatively impacts brain development and functionality, both in the immediate and is a very strong predictor of lifetime psychopathology, according to an article in Frontiers in Psychology. Plus, we know he was already displaying some rather, you know, troubling behaviors toward his sisters and others. 
Ollie, his father, was not a kind and loving parent and really had no patience for children. Perhaps this anger and impatience, especially shown towards Fritz, as I'm sure we can all assume, manifested outwardly and in these behaviors. Perhaps this anger and impatience, especially shown towards Fritz, and we all know that his father was like that towards him, that this manifested outwardly in these negative behaviors. What we seem to have here is a child born during a time when his sexual preference was not particularly tolerated, a father who let him know with no uncertain terms how he felt about that, a mother who coddled him unnecessarily, sexual abuse by a teacher, and perhaps an inborn lack of empathy. But let's continue. So he did return to Germany and he became engaged to a young woman named Erna Lauert. She had quickly become pregnant. In 1900, he was called to complete his compulsory military service. He was then deployed to France and his superior officers described him as an excellent soldier and a fantastic marksman. And Fritz himself would talk about, you know, thinking back for those times and how happy he was. But a year later, he started experiencing severe dizziness and he was put in the hospital for four months. He was then dismissed from the military in 1902, deemed, quote, unsuitable for military service and work, unquote. But it was also noted that under his medical discharge, he had, quote, probably dementia praecox, unquote. So what is that? It's no longer used, but was once a psychiatric diagnosis described as a chronic, deteriorating, psychotic disorder that displays as rapid cognition disintegration, which usually begins in the late teens. So does that sound familiar? It should, because we know this as schizophrenia today. So, after his discharge, he was given a monthly military pension of 21 gold marks, which was the equivalent of about $12.50 a month, but in today's money, that would be about $381 a month. Fritz did go back to work for his father, but then filed a lawsuit against Ollie, saying that he was unable to work due to his medical military discharge. Ollie, of course, won the lawsuit. Then Fritz and Ollie, a year later, would get into this hugely violent fight and Ollie sued his son, saying Fritz had threatened to kill him and blackmail him and therefore he needed to be sent back to the mental institution and this time, permanently. Now, these charges were dropped because Ollie didn't have enough evidence but Fritz was ordered to be psychologically evaluated and the doctor did say that he was, quote, morally inferior, unquote, but not mentally unstable. Then, as strange as it may sound, Ollie helped Fritz and Erna open a fish market store. But it wasn't long before he was officially classified as disabled and therefore not able to work. They did, however, increase his military pension at least slightly. Then Erna all of a sudden ended their engagement and she was pregnant again. 
She said that he had accused her of having an affair with a boy basically young enough to be in high school. The fish business was really in her name only, so she ordered him out. Over the next decade, he supplemented his pension with petty crimes, burglaries, and cons. On occasion, he would have an honest job, but he would inevitably steal from his employers and their customers. This, of course, led him to being arrested fairly regularly, and he became quite the familiar face to the authorities. Now, make no mistake, even though he would get into trouble, the local people found him quite harmless. Even the police kind of liked him, you know, all things considered. But eventually, they grew tired of his behavior and he was sentenced to five years in prison, effectively getting to sit out World War I. Now, while in prison, he met 24-year-old Hans, who was apparently a pimp, and Fritz was in love. According to MarcelPerks.com, Hans Granz was devilishly handsome and assured, and he became Harmon's regular lover despite being 21 years younger and really more interested in women. In 1918, 39-year-old Fritz moved to Berlin for a short while before returning to Hanover. He lived with one of his sisters for a bit, and then he rented his own single room. He and Hans shared this apartment together. They worked together as conmen selling old clothes and cheap meat. And then Fritz began working two jobs. One was working with a group of smugglers and the other was being an informant for the local police, passing himself off as a detective. This role would, of course, set him up nicely for his turn to murder. Now, Hans meant the world to Fritz, but Hans had three female lovers who often hung out in Fritz's room and they prostituted themselves out of there. So later that year, a 17-year-old teen boy went missing. His father discovered that his son sometimes hung out with Fritz, who quickly developed a reputation for entertaining young male guests. The father, of course, went to the police, who begrudgingly went to Fritz's apartment and found him indeed in bed with a naked 13-year-old boy. He was arrested for sexual assault and battery, sentenced to nine months in prison, which he seemed to be able to get out of. If the police had searched his apartment, they would have found the decapitated head of that 17-year-old missing boy behind the stove. This was thought to be Fritz's first victim. In July of 1921, Fritz and Hans moved into a ground floor apartment which was located on a very busy street close to a river. At this point, Fritz was fairly prosperous. The insanely cheap meat he sold was a relief to the war-torn German people. I mean, remember, this is the end of World War I. All the while, Fritz was always looking for teenage boys to lure to his apartment, and it wasn't hard to find them. Many teens and older children were running away from home at this time. 
and thus began his career in murder. He killed a young man or boy on average about once a month. It is believed four were murdered in the apartment before Fritz and Hans moved into an attic apartment. Two weeks after the move, he killed again and again. Now here's why I have to add a disclaimer, disclaimer. This is gonna get kind of graphic. Throughout 1923 and 24, Fritz murdered. His method was to lovingly bite through their windpipe. He himself called this his, quote, love bite, unquote. Now, once they bled out, he would molest their bodies. He would then dismember them, grind their flesh into sausage meat or cubing the meat and sold it as beef or pork. So whatever was left of the body, he dumped into the nearby river. And then he began to kill more frequently, sometimes only waiting days in between. In May of 1924, a couple of children were playing near the river when they found a human skull. The police were alerted, but they blew it off as being discarded by grave robbers or had been put there by medical students as a prank. Plus, there had been a local outbreak of typhoid. But then two weeks later, another skull was found behind a mill in the water. And then another couple of boys found a sack with many human bones inside. Two more skulls were found in June, and after examination, it was determined the skulls had been detached from the spine with a sharp object. One of the skulls was determined to belong to a boy between the ages of 10 and 12. The skull had marks on it consistent with scalping. Newspapers began to report on the findings of the human remains. So in June of 1924, many residents in Hanover began searching all along the river and outward, discovering many human bones and giving them to the police. Finally, the police were forced to acknowledge the problem and decided to drag the entire river for evidence. They found 500 more human bones, dismembered sections of bodies with clear knife marks, and the varying stages of decomposition told the police that the killing had been going on for years. Now, considering his reputation for approaching and being inappropriate with younger boys, Fritz quickly became a suspect. I mean, he had, after all, had 15 convictions between 1896 to current involving child molestation and sexual assault and battery. So the police put Fritz under surveillance, which wasn't difficult because he was a trusted informant and he visited the police station frequently. But that also meant that he was very familiar with all of the officers. So two young policemen were brought in from Berlin to go undercover and watch Fritz. These two officers watched Fritz hang around Hanover's central train station. They watched as an argument broke out between him and a 15-year-old boy, and they decided to approach the two. When asked for papers, they saw that the boy had forged documents, and they arrested him. Under questioning, the boy told them that he had been living with Fritz for a few days, 
and that Fritz had raped him repeatedly, often with a knife to his throat. They immediately arrested Fritz for sexual assault. Now, once they had him in custody, they searched his apartment, and what they found would shock them. The floor, part of the walls, and the bedding were all found to have an alarming amount of blood. Fritz said that it was there due to him being a butcher, you know, for a living. His neighbors said that they saw Fritz ushering teen boys into his apartment, only they never really saw those teenage boys ever leave. What they saw was Fritz exiting with these odd sacks super late at night or very early in the morning. The search of his apartment also produced a large amount of clothing and personal possessions which could not have belonged to Fritz or Hans. They displayed these items at the police station and then they invited the public, the parents and whatnot, friends of the missing boys to come see if they could identify any of the personal belongings. This definitely worked as people were able to link personal property to specific missing boys. They took this information to Fritz who finally broke down and confessed to murdering somewhere between 50 and 70 boys. He was charged with multiple counts of murder and sat in jail awaiting trial. During the trial, sources say he sneered at the audience, he smoked cigars, and he hurled insults. But he said that he hadn't meant to kill any of them, that he had gotten lost in, quote, rabid sexual passion, unquote, and bit through their Adam's apples while he strangled them during the throes of ecstasy, quote unquote. He literally said that, quote, my passion at the moment of murder was invariably stronger than the horror of the cutting and the chopping, unquote. He would then dismember the bodies, which he said was most unpleasant but he maintained that his urge to kill was a mystery even to himself. Fritz then went into an unimaginable amount of detail about how exactly he butchered these bodies and the members of the court and public that were in there were forced to listen. Hans was arrested and charged with accessory to murder though he adamantly denied any knowledge of his partner's crimes. But it was basically just kind of known that Hans had often emotionally blackmailed Fritz into murdering specific young boys because he was jealous of their clothes or some other possession and he wanted them. Hans was ultimately sentenced to life in prison, but it was reduced and he only served 12 years. This trial created a huge media frenzy in Germany for that time, and after the third day of the trial, the judge had to shut the public out. The media nicknamed Fritz, quote, the Butcher of Hanover, the Vampire of Hanover, and the Wolfman, unquote. He was found guilty of 24 murders that they could prove and was sentenced to beheading by guillotine in 1925. Side note, I wish they'd bring that back. He said, quote, I accept the verdict fully and freely. I shall go to the decapitating block joyfully and happily, unquote. 
He felt his death would atone for his crimes, and if he were free, he said that he would definitely continue to kill. After he was beheaded, sections of his brain were actually preserved and analyzed. He did show signs of meningitis, but unfortunately, the material just kind of, it wasn't preserved correctly and it disintegrated. But his head, minus the brain, was preserved in formaldehyde and it sat in a medical school from 1925 until 2014 when it was finally cremated. The remains of his victims, what they could find, were buried in a mass grave with a large memorial that is still there today. So according to psychology today, and we can really deduce this ourselves, Fritz viewed his victims as prey, plain and simple. He would treat them well at first, but once he got a hold of them, he murdered them and he kind of tore them apart like an apex predator. It was also noted in the article that people, after hearing of Fritz's trial and all of the sordid details, they developed kind of an irrational fear of eating meat for fear that it might be human. He was purely a sexual sadist and a serial killer. Well, not entirely. This case kind of does give me some Jeffrey Dahmer vibes. Only Jeff's father, Lionel, cared very much for his troubled son, whether he approved of his sexual preferences or not. Both were at odds with society. They didn't quite fit in and did petty little crimes for perhaps the thrill or the rush or something different. Only that rush only lasts so long, and then it has to get ever increasingly more criminal, more sinister, more deviant, always needing more and more. He also, his sexual sadism also kind of reminds me of Dean Quarrel out of Texas. If you've not heard that podcast, I have done one in the past. But the difference is that Jeffrey was not really proud of what he did. He certainly didn't seem like he was proud of what he did, whereas Fritz ate up all of that attention, even walking out to his very execution, acting proud and having a bit of a chip on his shoulder. But what do you think? Leave me a comment on Instagram at serial underscore killing or a comment under this video on the YouTube channel. You can visit my website at SerialKilling.Squarespace.com, which I promise I'm trying to get completed and updated. And most of all, thank you so much for listening to me, because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me, and I am humbled and honored. Thank you so, so much. Have a great day.